Turn your Bible, please, to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. I told our Sunday school class this morning about Eutychus. I hope every class touched on Eutychus this morning. Eutychus was that fellow that went to church when Paul preached. He was giving his farewell address to Ephesus. And it, had, it must have had a standing crowd, standing room only crowd. He sat in the window. And the Bible says Paul preached a long time. Matter of fact, he preached till midnight. And the Eutychus got sleepy like some of you have. Went to sleep and fell out the window. They thought he was dead. And Paul went out there and rescued him, brought him back. I guess he kept on preaching. So you might say it's scriptural to go to sleep in church. But if you do, you might fall out the window. It's also scripture to preach a long message. So don't worry about that. Just settle down. Let's have a good time. If you're glad you're here tonight, say amen. 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 Hebrews chapter 6. We begin tonight with verse 13. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater. And an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things, in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which entereth into that within the veil, where the forerunner is for us entered even Jesus, made in high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. May we pray. Our Father, we thank you for this wonderful scripture. We pray that the Holy Spirit will impress upon every heart here tonight that we have an anchor, an anchor for the soul in the midst of turbulence, in the midst of the tossing waves, in the midst of a world that don't know which way to turn, in the midst of a war that we wish could be over, but we recognize the value of it. In all of this, in the personal hurts, the personal turmoil, the financial problems, the home problems, the sin problems, we have an anchor, which is a hope for the soul. May God grant that everyone here tonight will be encouraged to flee to that anchor and let Jesus be the anchor of their soul. In Christ's name, amen. We're living in difficult, tough times. It takes no newspaper correspondent to know that we're living in the best of times and the worst of times. The Tale of Two Cities was written by Charles Dickens. He called it the worst of times and the best of times. The rich were getting richer, the poor were getting poorer. Sin was marching all around. We live in a time like that today. Someone said that about 80% of the American people belong to some kind of church. About 30% go to church. 
and less than 20% are born again, really know Jesus as Savior. And so they have no anchor. That means 80% of the people of our land, 250 millions of people, have no anchor for their soul. You see, the church cannot be an anchor. Thank God for the church. I believe in it. I believe we ought to be at church every time the door opens. I believe we ought to be at least three times in the week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. But the church itself is not an anchor. The church testifies to the anchor. The church helps us get anchored, but the church is not an anchor. Baptism is not an anchor. I believe in baptism. I believe every person that gets saved ought to be baptized. If you get saved and you say you're saved and you don't want to be baptized, something wrong somewhere. Every person that's born into the family of God will want to follow Jesus in believer's baptism. But baptism is not an anchor for the soul. As much as I believe in Sunday school, and I believe in it with all my heart, and we're going to have a campaign starting in March, and March and April will be two outstanding months. But Sunday school is not an anchor for the soul. Training union, as valuable as it is, and I, we have wonderful times in training union, that's not an anchor for the soul. This quartet that just blesses my heart every time I hear them, I'd like for them to sing at every service. They're not an anchor for the soul. There are no anchors except Jesus. Jesus is the anchor. And this scripture testifies to the anchor. And I want you to notice it very carefully. Notice in chapter 6, verse 1, we're told here to rest on the firm foundation, which is Jesus. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on into perfection. It is God's will that believers go on to maturity. God never wants somebody to get saved and then just to stay in the shallows all the rest of their life. It's like going down to the lake or going down to the ocean and just putting your feet in the water. That's nice, but oh, how overwhelming it is when you wade into those waves down, on, down somewhere in some beach and you get in to the ocean and you feel the waves coming over you. Or you get into a lake, you get into the water and you enjoy it. Now, there are lots of people that get saved or at least they say they're saved they get right to the water's edge, and they just stay there. Hardly even get their toes wet. They never go any further with God. The thrust of this scripture begins assuming that those who are dealing, being dealt with in this chapter are already saved. This is not a chapter on the plan of salvation. It's a chapter on the plan of growth. And he says, let us go on unto perfection. Sometimes we're scared of that little word perfection. We think it's fanatical. You know, I've heard people say, when you deal with sin, you deal with certain habits, you deal with certain problems, they say, well, I'm not perfect. I know that. None of us is perfect. The word for perfection here means maturity. And God's plan is for us to go on into maturity, to get deeper in the Lord, in the things of God, to go on with God. The whole chapter deals with that, going on with God. And it tells us how to go on with God and reminds us at the close that the anchor for the soul is Jesus himself, who is our forerunner, who has already gone into heaven 
He has secured the way. He is there. And we're told to throw our hope over into glory, over into heaven. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. And when we get to feeling so at home in this world that we lose our hope, our soul, our desire for heaven, something's radically wrong with the believer. And so he's saying, let us go on into perfection. The forerunner, Jesus, has gone before us. The way is bright as the promise of God. He has already entered into the Holy of Holies. He has cast his blood there as a blood sprinkling for our sins. We are saved by blood, the blood of the covenant, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, that cleanses us from all sin. And so he says, let us go on in perfection. Now I want you to notice something else. We're to regard the challenge to go on. Look in verses 3 to 9. And this will we do, that is talking about going on, if God permit. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. For the earth which drinketh in the rain that cometh upon it often and bringeth forth herbs fit for them by whom it is tilled receiveth blessing from God. But that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected and is near unto cursing whose end is to be burned. But beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation though we thus speak. Now we're to regard, we're to regard highly the challenge to go on. Now I want you to notice this scripture. This could mean one of, this commentaries say one of three things about this scripture. Number one, those, uh, some commentaries refer to this as dealing with salvation. And they say that one can be saved and lost. And they use this as a proof text. If they shall fall away, it says, to renew them again to repentance, and so on. And so, they say this means that you can be saved and you can be lost after you're saved. The problem with that is, if that is what it means, it means that if you can be saved and you can be lost after you're saved, you can never be saved again. Never in a thousand worlds. And I don't know of anybody, anybody that's ever said, yes, I was saved and I was lost after I was saved and I never could get saved again. Most of the people that talk about this say, well, yeah, it's theoretical. You can be saved, and then you can be lost after you're saved. Those that propound such a thought as that, I've said to them, were you ever lost after you were saved? Well, no, I never was lost after I was genuinely saved. I said, well, according to that scripture that you're trying to use the proof text, that says if you could be lost after you're saved, you could never be saved again. Oh, they say, I don't believe that. So they don't believe the scripture. They don't believe their own interpretation of the scripture. And so I want to discredit that. I do not believe that's talking about that at all. Secondly, there are those who say this refers to one who has tasted, but not yet committed. He has tasted the heavenly gift. He has tasted of those good things of God. He's come into the congregation. 
He has song, sung the songs of Zion. He has tasted of some of the things about the Lord. And then he turns away and he goes out. This scripture has a severe warning to that one. It says, if you come up to that point of conviction and you hear God dealing with your heart and you turn away, you can never come back. That's a terrible, terrible scripture, if that's what it means. The Bible says, all day long have I held my hand out to you. The Bible says, it is not the will of God that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Therefore, God is long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish. The God of the Bible holds his hand out over and over and over and over again. But I want to tell you, there comes a day when God's grace, God's patience wears out. God's patience wears thin. And a person who has said no, 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 may get to a point like the railroader. He used to spend all of his years on the front end of one of those steam engines. And toward retirement years, he would become hard of hearing because he heard the constant roar of that engine over and 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 over again. And he could not even hear his watch tick when he got it close to him because of the constant roar of those engines. And when he got quiet, he found he was hard of hearing. And I want to tell you it's possible for somebody to hear the gospel and hear it again and 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 again. And he says, no, 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 no. And God finally steps back and says, all right. I'm going to take you seriously. If you say no, then you go on. That's the meaning of that chapter Luke 14. When the, the Lord made a great feast, he sent his servants at supper time to say, go bid them to the feast. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. One said, I bought a piece of ground. I've got to go look at it and try it out. I bought some oxen. I've got to go check them out, see if they can work. Or one said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. Now the Lord said, you go into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. And they came back and said, now Lord, it's done and still there's room. And then the Lord said, you go out and, the, go out and bring in the maimed and the halt and the lame. And listen to what he said. He said, none of those that were invited will taste of my supper. There comes a day when God's patience wears out. That's a severe warning. And if this scripture refers to salvation, then it is another of those scriptures that reminds us there comes a time when you can no longer hear the voice and tug of God at your heart. But let me hasten to say, if you can still hear his voice, if you can still feel that tug in your soul, if you can still know that you need God, you haven't crossed that line. For when you cross it, you'll not have any desire to be saved at all. The Holy Spirit puts that desire in there. The devil never put a desire in anybody's heart to be saved. The world never put a desire in anybody's heart to be saved. The flesh never put a desire in anybody's heart to be saved. It is always the Holy Spirit. And no one can be saved apart from the instrumentality and work and love of the Holy Spirit.
Now there's a third thing. I do not believe that that scripture is referring to salvation. The theme of this chapter is to go on to perfection. He's talking to believers. And there's a third interpretation. He's talking about, in my judgment, the importance of going on with God. This refers to the rewards or the danger of failing to go on with God. And frankly, beloved, that's where most of us stand. That's the problem we face. If you're here tonight, the question is not whether you can be saved and lost after you're saved. That's a theoretical question that nobody, nobody has ever dealt with thoroughly. It's just all theory because I've never met anybody that was saved and then lost and then got saved again. This scripture teaches that if you were saved and you got lost again, you can't ever be saved again, if that's what it's referring to. But I believe it's preaching on something else. I believe the scripture is talking about going on with God, going on to perfection. And listen, beloved, there are men and women in this room tonight, listen to me carefully. There are men and women in this room tonight who are right on the danger of failing to go on with God. The world is making an appeal for you. The flesh is making an appeal for you. The devil is making an appeal for you. Some old habit has made an appeal for you. It's trying to drag you down, down, down into the muck and mire of it all. And God says, if you let that happen, there could come a time when there's no way back. I'm not talking about going to hell. I'm talking about you can so get out of the will of God and so get your life fouled up and messed up that God has to put you on a shelf. He can't use you. Paul prayed, I beat my body into subjection lest after I've preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. What an awful thing. What an awful thing. What a tragic thing have to be put on a shelf and not be used by God. I think we've had some experiences like that in this church years gone by. There was a man in our church years ago I believe loved God with all of his heart. He used to go soul winning with him. He loved the Lord. He worked with RAs. He went visiting on Sunday night, on Thursday night, came to training, came to evening service, came to Wednesday night prayer meeting, came to Sunday morning, Sunday school and worship and all that. Involved. I loved him. We used to pray together. Came one day and he said, now preacher, I'm just too busy. Got too much going on. I'm going to have to give this up. I won't call his name. Some of you know him. I said, now, it's a dangerous thing to do that. Paul, preacher, you, you just don't know. I've got lots of stuff to do. I said, it's a dangerous thing to do that. He did it. He gave this up. A few weeks later, he came and said, now, preacher, I'm too busy. I've got to give this up. And then he gave this up. After a while, he didn't come on Thursday night. The easiest thing to quit doing is soul winning. That's where the devil really works on you. 
Then after a while, I noticed he didn't come on Wednesday night. And after a while, I noticed he didn't come on Sunday night. I went by to see him lots of times. Oh, preacher, you just, you're a little bit fanatical. You want everybody to come to church all the time. I've got a family. I've got this. I've got that. I've got other things I've got to do. I just can't be over there all the time. I said, it doesn't even sound like you talking. After a while, he quit coming to church on Sunday morning. He came to Sunday school. That was it. Leave after Sunday school. After a while, he quit that too. Wasn't long until I learned he was nipping at the bottle. Went by to see him often. I didn't leave him out. I loved him. Love him to this day. I feel like crying when I talk about it. After a while, he became unfaithful to his wife. One day I got a phone call, come, my husband's dead. I preached his funeral. I loved him then, I love him today. I want to tell you, you can't serve the Lord and then go back away from him and start giving this up and this up and this up and this up without facing a terrible, terrible problem in your life. That's what this scripture is talking about. Going on with God. Let us go on with God. For the anchor of our soul is Jesus. And he's the example. One of the big problems I've seen with new converts, they come to church get saved, love the Lord, come back on Sunday night and look around. Some of the people that they thought were really pillars aren't here. Come on Wednesday night and look around. Some of the pillars, well, I can't understand where so-and-so and so-and-so and so. Well, they don't really come on Wednesday night. They get all excited. They say, well, I want to go soul winning. Come on Thursday night. The crowd's thinner than ever. Where and where were so-and-so? All that wonderful spiritual power and enthusiasm going for God. And then they learn that the saints who've been going for God for a while don't have to do that. They don't have to go soul winning. They don't have to come on Wednesday night. They don't have to go on Sunday night. And so they settle in for that. And they live the rest of their spiritual lives in the shallows. And they never do what God intended for them to do. Beloved, it is never God's will for us to serve him halfway. He wants us to serve him all the way. I like what Lloyd sang, all the way my Savior leads me. He never fails. But how many times we fail him. And so this scripture is saying, let us go on to perfection. And then he's saying, let's watch how to do it. Let's go on with God and not fail him and not quit on him. What a terrible thing to quit on God. Can you imagine that? Suppose the Lord had quit on us. How many in this room, the very first time you heard Jesus speak to your heart, the very first time you heard Jesus speak to your heart, that very moment you gave your heart to Jesus, lift your hand. The very first time you heard Jesus speak to your heart. I don't see anybody here tonight. I've asked that in congregations a lot of places. I see one little fellow over here. 
I've asked, asked people, the most I've ever seen are three or four. How many of you'd have to say like I would, he stood at my heart's door amid sunshine and rain and patiently waited an entrance to gain. What shame that so long he entreated in vain, but now he is precious to me. Would you say that? Lots of us would say that to the Lord. Now suppose Jesus had quit on us. Just quit bothering us, quit disturbing us, quit quickening our hearts, quit convicting us, quit sending somebody to us. There was a man in the service this morning. He came to church years ago one Sunday morning. I went to visit him. And he, I told him how to be saved. He didn't trust Christ. Next Sunday he came back to church. Next week I went to see him again. I went to see him every week for 13 weeks. Every week. And finally I got a little bit discouraged with it. I said, now Lord, I ought to go see somebody else. Of course, I went to see a lot of other people too, but I, I said, Lord, I'm just going to leave this fellow alone. Came on Thursday night. Well, that's a sanctified night around here. I wish it were sanctified to everybody's heart. And there was a revival meeting going on in town, and I wanted to hear that preacher. It's the only night in the week I could have gone, so I came over here and got everybody ready to go out visiting. And then I thought, well, I'm going to go down there and go to that revival. So I took my Bible, went over there, walked up on the door of the church. Jesus said, well, you're supposed to go see this guy tonight. I said, no, Lord, I've been every night for 13 weeks. This is the only night I can hear this man preach. The Lord said, you ought to go see him. I don't know what they thought of me. I didn't say a word to anybody. There was a bunch of men standing out front. I just turned around, took my Bible, got back in my car, and drove down the street to where this man lived. When I got in front of the house, the devil said, don't go in, you'll make a, you're a nuisance. You're a pest. You've been there every week. You say the same thing to that guy every week. I drove on down the street. Jesus said, you need to go back and see him tonight. I turned the car, went back. The devil said, you fool, don't go in there and talk to that guy. You'll just embarrass yourself and him. You don't know what to say to him. You've said everything you know to say. And I drove on down the street. The Lord said, you better go back and see him. That happened three or four times. I don't know what anybody would have thought if they were watching my car just going up and down that street. Finally, I drove back in front of his house, parked my car, got out before the devil could say anything else, went up and knocked on the door, and his wife came to the door, and I said, where is Hugh? And he said, she said, she said, well, he's back there getting ready to go fishing. And I said, all right. I just, I don't think I pushed her, but I just walked right through. I didn't listen for an invitation or anything went through their house, I'd never done that before, and went back out the back door, and there he was down on the concrete fixing his lanterns and everything, getting ready to go fishing. I just got down on the concrete with my, on my knees, and I said, Hugh, God sent me here tonight to tell you you need to be saved. I don't know anything else to say to you, but I love you and I want you to be saved. In a moment, just in a moment or two, some tears were trickling, trickling down his face. And right there on that concrete, getting ready to go fishing, he gave his heart to Christ. Amen. Came the next Sunday, made it public, and was baptized. Served the Lord. And for a long time, he was the Sunday school superintendent down at our chapel at Glendale Chapel. Now listen. 
Suppose I'd given up on him. Suppose God would give up on us like we give up on people. And like we quit and we throw in the towel and we say, I'm not going to teach this class anymore. I'm not going to serve in the choir anymore. I'm not going to be an usher anymore. I'm not going to go soul winning anymore. I'm just, I'm just tired. I've got too much to do. You can't do that, brother, without a big price. If you were closer to the Lord at one time than you are tonight, you're a backslider. In your heart, in your time, in your talents, put it all on the altar for God. Make time for God. And that's what the scripture is saying. It is a dangerous, dangerous thing to depend on your own prowess and your own figuring things out. Depend on the Lord. Which hope we have as an anchor for the soul. Beloved, the anchor for your soul is not your schedule. The anchor for your soul is not how you figure all these things out and you've got to spend more time doing this and that and the other. The anchor is Jesus. What does Jesus tell us to do? Where are our eyes tonight? Are they on Jesus? Paul said, and I believe he wrote that, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Look to him. Look to him. He never fails. Jesus never fails. Jesus never fails. Earthly friends may prove untrue. Doubts and fears assail, but one still loves and cares for you, and he will not fail. Never. Never in a thousand worlds. Let's get back in this passage. Look back here at Hebrews 6. He goes on to say, resist the done enough attitude. Look down at verses 10, 11, and 12. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have shown to, toward his name, in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Now what is he saying? He's saying, you did it. You worked at it, you served for a while, and you've gotten tired at it. He said, keep your eyes first on the Lord and then on those who've gone on with God. You know what? I'm constantly amazed at this. In a given church, lots of the people find some cantankerous person that's off sides and all messed up in their spiritual life. And some well-meaning Christian layman will say, well, we better listen to what he's saying instead of listen to their preacher. Better listen to what he's saying. And he's already off sides. And instead of taking side with God and with the work of God and the things of God, they take sides over there and it hurts the work of God. And so he says, keep your eyes first on Jesus and then those are going on for God. Don't get your life all messed up and fouled up by those who get off sides. But keep on keeping on for God. Amen. Which hope we have as an anchor for the soul is Jesus. Beloved, I pray that I'll keep on for God. But your faith doesn't rest in your preacher. 
Your faith rests in Jesus. Your preacher's not the anchor. Jesus is. Some layman is not the anchor. Jesus is. Some young person that once was going for God, and now they're not as faithful as they were. They're not your anchor. God is. Jesus is. Let's go on with him. He's the anchor of the soul. I have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll. And Jesus is that anchor. And he'll be your anchor too if you let him. I beg you, I plead with you in Jesus' name, keep your eyes on the Lord. When you become a deacon, some of you have become deacons. Others of you in this auditorium may be elected as a deacon this year. I want to tell you, always keep your eye on Jesus. Don't look around at the deacons that come to church sometimes and then they skip three or four times. Look at Jesus. Everybody that serves as a deacon, your ministry is just like a preacher. You ought to be here every time the door opens. Everyone. We need to go on with God. You see what this is saying? He's saying the anchor of our soul is Jesus and he's the example. Look to him. In Hebrews 12, wherefore, laying aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and, oh, God, help us to find out what that is. You see, the devil knows, and God knows, but a lot of times we're blinded to it. We don't know what it is, and we get all messed up in it. We need to find out what it is, then lay it aside, get rid of it, crucify it with Christ, and go on with God. And then he says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher, of our faith. Now there's something else in this chapter. Look over beginning in verse 13. Remember the refuge. Remember the refuge. For when God made promise to God, to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself saying, surely blessing I will bless thee and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Men verily swear by the greater, an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife, wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things, in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Rock of ages, cleft for thee. Let me hide myself in me. Ms. Ada Gray was a great member of our church. You know, we've had so many saints. On Memorial Day weekend, we publish a list of all the saints that have been part of our fellowship who have gone on to be with the Lord. They don't be dead yet speak. Ms. Ada Gray, wonderful, wonderful Christian, lived over on Kentucky Street. Came into the fellowship of our church just a few weeks after I came here. She was a dear, precious saint to me. In the end of her life, she was all crippled with arthritis and had to spend the last few years of her life in a nursing home. Every time I'd go see her, she'd get those little wrinkled hands out. She'd say, oh, I'm so glad to see you, Pastor. I'm so glad to see you. She had a big, big picture in her home. It was a picture of a big rock out in the ocean, shaped like a cross. And this lady was clinging to that cross. 
And every time I'd go in her home, I'd say, Miss, Miss Gray, I like that picture. I like that picture. When she got ready to die, she said, I want you to have that picture. It's over in my house, the house you let me live in. When I think of this refuge, Jesus is the refuge. Jesus is the rock in a weary land. Jesus is the mighty fortress. Jesus is the one who will never fail. He's the one who will provide your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. If your needs are for companionship, if your needs are for finances, if your needs are for understanding, if your need is for sympathy, if your need is for compassion, if your need is for love, whatever your need is, my God shall supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He's able. God is able. And so we're told here the refuge is Jesus himself, and he is the anchor of the soul. <laughs> and I want to tell you, you can trust him. You can trust him. I may fail you. I don't want to, but I may. Your husband or wife may fail you. One of the most tragic things I can think of is some of you have gone through the awful courts of divorce. Somebody you trusted and believed in and loved was unfaithful to you or came one day and said, I don't love you anymore. They just left. What a tragedy. Jesus will never do that. Jesus will remain true all the way. Now with that in mind, who here tonight would be willing to say, Lord, I know you're my anchor, and I know you're my refuge in a stressful time, and I haven't always let you be my refuge. Sometimes I've depended on myself. Sometimes I've depended on some friend that let me down. Sometimes I've had my eyes on something else, maybe my job or my children or my money. And Lord, I know that they can't really help me. And so I want to come back to you. And I don't want to ever quit. I don't want to ever quit. You know, don't you like to get in a jet airplane that goes up and up and up and up and up and up and up? Now, I've been on some planes where there was turbulence. The plane goes like that, and that scares me. Planes like that, man, I leave my, my heart up there in the air somewhere while it's coming down. I don't enjoy that kind of flight. I was coming back from California on a plane one day, and that plane just wiggled all over the Rockies. And it just went down and up and sideways and everything. Ooh, I thought, if I ever get back, I don't think I ever get on a plane again. I like to get in a jet that goes up and up and up. And what, they, what their plan is, their plan of attack is to go up, up, up to a certain point, and then they start going down. If you're on a short trip, you'll, you can feel that. You go, you go up and up, and all of a sudden you feel yourself going down, and there you are in Atlanta. You try to drive, fly from Nashville to Atlanta. And it's awful that way almost everywhere you go. If you go on a long journey, then you go along flying above the clouds and you look down and see all those clouds and you think, I'm glad this plane is not bumping up and down. Now I want to tell you, God loves that kind of person too. Now he loves the sinner. But God in all of heaven 
sit back and take notice when somebody starts going up and up and up and up until, like Enoch, God says, hey, you're closer to my house than your house. Come on home. And you go on home, never having a nosedive. Now, beloved, if you've had a nosedive, confess it and ask God to help you with it and get going again. If you've never had a nosedive, don't have one. Just get on that spiritual plane with God and go on and on and on because he's the anchor and he's the refuge for our soul and he's the one that will keep you in the tough times. Will you do it? Will you do it? Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that Jesus is the refuge for our soul. He's the anchor. And oh God, forgive us forever anchoring our soul in anything else. The world, or its music, or its tawdry cheap things. But help us to anchor ourselves in Jesus and the things that honor him. In Jesus' dear name, amen. May you stand, please. Pass me not, O gentle Savior, hear my humble cry. While on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. Now listen. What page is that? 361. 361. This is God's invitation. Largely, the message tonight's been to God's people. If you're here tonight and you're not saved, Jesus is the anchor. He's the anchor for the soul, and he'll be your anchor if you'll let him. We try a thousand things. None of them really, none of them works. They may seem to work for a little while, give a little thrill. But only Jesus is the anchor that lasts and endures. If you've never been saved, come to him tonight. If you are saved,